following is a message from Living Waters Church in Elk River, Minnesota. For more information, visit livingwatersmn.org. I want to jump into our sermon because I just feel, again, like the Lord has been ministering to us through the whole service around the things that we're pressing into. And uh, we are in this series on I am certain. It's a phrase that the Lord dropped into my spirit one morning when I was praying that he wants to give us a certainty and a confidence in some things. And one of the reasons that he wants to do that is because he is calling us as a church and as individuals into some higher levels of faith. I believe that there are some things that we are going to step into individually and as a church, the things that he's asking us to believe for, the things that we're going to step into, he, he, we need a, a greater level of faith to walk in that. And so I feel like he's giving us, sometimes we think faith is about kind of whipping up this, this confidence, and really it's just about being grounded in the truth of who he is. That faith comes through intimacy. Greater faith comes through knowing our God really, really well and, and pressing into the realities of who he is. Sometimes we think that the walk of faith is like this blind trust, that we just have to have this blind trust. And he says, no, get to know me. And then the more you know me, you'll trust me and it'll be easy to step into faith. It's not just this kind of pipe dream of, I hope this happens, or I think this could happen. It's, no, I know the God that my faith is in. I know that he already has a plan, and I'm just stepping into the reality of that. And so this, this series, I think, is really important for us as we step into these, these greater um, or these next things that he's calling us to. I think a lot of us, Certainly in, in this church body, we're in this place of transitioning to where, what the Lord's doing next. But I think a lot of us in our individual lives are in that place. Lord, what are you doing next? Where are you bringing us? Our walk with the Lord is always to go deeper, farther, higher in him. And so he's bringing us into that place. But nobody, nobody builds, nobody tries to grow something if, if we were going to try to build onto this building, uh, nobody does that, no builder will do that without inspecting the foundation. Nobody goes, oh, that doesn't matter. Just do whatever you're going to do. Just build whatever you're going to build. The foundation, actually, when, if you've ever built a building, I haven't, so I'm going to talk about it like I know all this stuff. I really don't. But if you, I've seen it built. <laughs> if you've ever built a building, you know a great amount of time and math is spent on the foundation because the rest of it is not going to be, be able to stand if the foundation isn't good. The largest skyscraper uh, right now is in Dubai, and it stands like half a mile high. I can't even fathom that, really. A building that's half a mile high but the truth of that is they don't just go, this looks like a flat spot, and they put a building like that on it. There's this incredible foundation underneath it. How incredible, you ask? 
I bet you wish I had facts and figures. No, you probably don't, but I do. The foundation uses 58,900 cubic yards of concrete. And that's not the foundation like even the floor. That's just the pilings that go into the ground to support it. 58,900 cubic yards of concrete. For those of you that are challenged in spatial things, that is 5,890 cement trucks full. If they were full to the like to their full capacity. There are 192 piles buried 164 feet deep. And this is the kind of foundation we need in our lives for the things that the Lord wants to build in us. We cannot think that we can have fruit without being rooted in deep. And so this has been a rooting season for a lot of us. And so we're just making sure as we begin to see what the Lord wants to build, we're just making sure our foundation is good. Nobody buys a house, well, in this market we do, but nobody buys a house without having the foundation inspected and, and goes, okay, is it, is it good? And yet a lot of people don't think about the foundation in their lives. What am I, what am I built on? What am I founded on? Sometimes we can think a lot about what I'm building. Even in our Christian walk and our Christian life, we think about what we're building, but what am I actually founded on is as important or probably more important. So that's why we are kind of pressing into this for as long as we feel like the Lord has us there, the certainty of things that that we need to know that we're founded on. Last week, I talked about, we've talked about the goodness of God being one of the things we're founded on, the love of God, just, just his love in general. Then we talked about that his love for us, because it's one thing to know he loves, but it's a whole other thing to know he loves me. And we talked, began to talk about this adoptive love that we love because he first loved us. That's, that's the nature of love. It's this response that he, he wants us to come into sonship with him. I love that he already knows you. He already loves you. Like that's done with. We don't have to prove that to him. He knows you. He loves you. Now it's our response we, to know and love him. That's what we were doing this morning. He was extending the cup of covenant and saying, I know you, and I love you, and now I get to receive it and say, I want to know and love you more. That's what we got to do through communion this morning. So this is that adoptive love that we get to step into. There's scripture all over that talks about how he predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters according to the purpose of his will, or uh, other translations say, according to his great pleasure. It pleases him. This adoption is not, sometimes we can view it as a rescue of, like, well, he feels sorry for me. (laughs) No, he is pleased to welcome you and bring you into his family. This was his plan from the beginning, before you had anything to offer It pleases him. 
So there's this adoption that takes place. And we talked about last week that, that our awareness of this has to come by the Spirit. We can read the scriptures that talk about it. We can read the scriptures that say that when we are in Christ, now we're adopted and that we're heirs, that we have everything that Jesus has, but it's the Spirit that has to make that real to us. And so even as we've just been sort of soaking in this reality over the last couple weeks, I feel like it's been to give the Spirit time to bear witness with our spirit, that we truly are adopted, that we have been, and that we have a Father. So that's the other concept I want to talk about today is that we would have this confidence in that, that we are sons and daughters. I'm going to talk a lot about sonship this morning. And can we just be okay that I'm not always going to say, and daughters? Can we just all be okay that we know that when we talk about sonship, it's not a gender-exclusive thing? If, if men have to be the bride of Christ and have to step into that reality, how often do we go, and grooms? We don't. So this morning, I'm going to talk about sonship, and I'm going to talk about the father, and we're not going to be ruffled about, because it's, it's the character and the nature that we're connecting with, okay? Good. Whew, that'll cut my sermon in half. No, I'm just kidding. It probably won't. Um, so what I find interesting is that sometimes we can think this concept of the fatherhood of God is kind of like this parable, like God looks out and he sees something natural and he goes, oh, I'm going to use this natural thing to define a supernatural aspect of who I am. So, you know, like Jesus talked about seeds and, and that helped us understand a, new, a supernatural truth. And we talk about roots and we, and so sometimes we can think, we can, oh, he just goes, oh, there's a natural thing. And I'm kind of like that. So I'm going to use that as sort of a, an example. But we need to recognize that God as father really isn't just a parable. It's actually something he established. The reason we have fathers is because God is a father. Because it is a way that we reflect who he is. It's not like, oh, that's convenient. Earthly dads kind of act like God. No, he, we get to see that picture because he designed it that way. I Honestly, I believe probably even he designed seeds the way that he designed them so that we can see an aspect of spiritual growth in what he created. So it's funny to me when we take a natural thing and we go, well, it's like this. Yeah, he created it. It reflects him. All of creation reflects him. So it's, that's, that's interesting to me. So we need to recognize that, that the father paradigm is not a way that God is like us. The father paradigm is a way that we are like God. That we are, now sometimes that can, we can wrestle with that because our paradigm of fatherhood is imperfect because we experience it imperfectly. No matter how good your dad was, and I had a really good dad. No, no matter how good your dad was, we experience it imperfectly. Some of us experienced it very imperfectly. And so this connection to God as father is hard and it's painful because we have allowed, we have said, God is a reflection of my earthly father. 
And so it's hard for me to connect with him because this was my experience here. And, and if that's what God is like, I don't know how to connect to that. But God isn't a reflection of your earthly father. God is the perfection of your earthly father. And he wants to demonstrate to you the fullness of what that's supposed to look like. So this morning, Holy Spirit, would you come and remove every obstacle to us seeing you as Father? We thank you that your Holy Spirit can minister to those places and break through those places that are resistant to the fathering love of God. We just ask you to come and do that by your spirit so that we can enter to the fullness of your love this morning. <clears throat> it's an interesting thing that we can't take lightly that kind of this concept of fatherhood and family is being deconstructed. Because it is the plan of the enemy to separate us from the reality of who God is. God established family to represent how he relates to us and how we should relate to one another. And we get to be the, the guardians of that. We get to be the ones that know the love of the Father and we get to reflect that. Not perfectly, but we get to reflect that. All throughout Scripture, God is, is referred to as a father. He's the father of Israel. There's places in the, in the Old Testament where it talks about, um, then you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son. He's not just using a natural reality to say, yeah, I'm kind of like this. That natural reality reflects what he's like. It, it shows what he's like. But we see it all over scripture. One of the things that he's praised for is being a father to the fatherless. And so this is an aspect of, of who he is. And what we see in the Old Testament is that, the, that people could connect to the power of that. They connected to the power of the father. He was called the father because they viewed him as the creator of all things. He was the one who created everything. He was the source. And so in the Old Testament, when they're connecting to that reality of the father, that's what they're connecting to. He's powerful. The power of the father. And that is true. How many of you need a powerful father? <laughs> How many of you need to know the Father who is powerful? In, in their society, when they referred to the Father, the Father's house was like the center of everything. The, the patriarch of the family, it was like the center of everything. He was the source and he was the center. And so it helped them connect to God in that way, but it was really more around this, this idea of his power. What became unique is when Jesus comes on the scene and he begins to reveal the nature of the Father in a personal way. So they knew the power, but Jesus knew him personally. 
And he was inviting people into seeing the Father in a personal way. And really, this was met with, with, reje- with uh, rejection or opposition because it was too familiar, it was too personal to view the Father that way. So even though people kind of understood God as the Father of Israel, to refer to him as my Father was unheard of. That there was this personal connection to him. Which is why when Jesus got lost in the, uh, in the city, remember he was lost, remember Mary gave birth to the Savior of the world and then lost him for three days? When he got lost, um, and they went to find him, and he said, why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? But they didn't understand the statement which he had made. Do you know why? Because nobody referred to it that way. In fact, probably, he could have gotten his mouth washed out with soap (laughs) for that kind of attitude. Not really. It wasn't an attitude. But it was like, what are you talking about? Nobody referred to the, the temple or the synagogues as the father's house. And certainly not my father's house. So for us, you know, we talk about coming to church and being in, being in the father's living room. And it's so common for us. But we need to recognize that Jesus broke down a barrier that now allowed people to call him father. And to, in a personal way, not just a I have all the power kind of a way. So he would talk about my father, my father, my father. And then they say, how should we pray? And he said, pray our father. Now he's your father too. In John 15, verse 9, he says, as the father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. He says, you know, the same way that God loves me, because they watched. They watched his interaction with the Father. They watched him go and, and talk to him. Nobody prayed like Jesus prayed. Because he knew the Father. He had relationship with him. It was unhindered, fully connected, the way that Adam had and Eve had in the garden before sin. He could be transparent. He didn't have to put on. God's love for him wasn't dependent on what he did or didn't do. And they watched that and they knew. And he said, yeah, the same way the Father loves me, I love you. That same way. Now live from that place. Abide in this love. And that's what he made possible for us to have was this same relationship. The other little paradigm, the other little impurity in, the, in, the, in our foundation or in our sword, if you remember Luke's word from last week, the other impurity is that sometimes we can think Jesus came so that God could love us again. Jesus came so that he could love us again because now we have the purity. and No, Jesus came because the Bible makes it clear. He always loved us while we were yet sinners before the foundation of the world. 
He always loved us. No, Jesus came so that we could see the love of the Father, so that we could actually receive the love of the Father, so that we could, it was, it's really all on our end. <laughs> so we could respond to the love of the Father. He was always there waiting for us. But it's still a choice. We still have to make a choice to respond to that. So it's important that we recognize that that's the foundation of it. Because what we can do is we can cherry pick the aspects of Jesus's ministry. We can focus on, we can say, um, Jesus came so, that, so we could have social justice. Jesus came so that the increase of his government could happen and we could reign in every sphere. Jesus came so that we could have healing. All those things are true. But if we need to recognize the foundation of all of it is Jesus came so we could be reconciled to the Father. Because none of that happens if we don't understand our relationship to the Father. Because why? Because there are three things. There's probably more things. Today there's three. There are three things that we can have confidence in when we're confident that we're sons. When we step into the spirit of sonship. The first one is identity. Confident sons know who we are. When we become certain of who he is and who we are in relationship to him, we know who we are. We know who he is and whose we are. And there's an identity that comes from the Father. Father gives us identity. The Bible talks about us being named by the Father. That's a, there's a name that the Father gives us. All throughout Scripture, we see encounters with God renaming people. The wrestling with the, the angel. Okay, now your name is this. Simon, whose name became Peter. Saul, whose name became Paul. There's, a, there's an identity. This is not who you are. This is who you are. We have to be able to be connected to that, to the identity that, that comes by the Father. In the natural, sociologically, in psychology, they know that one of the things that in child development, they receive identity from fathering. There's something unique about that. They won't talk about it much anymore because we're trying to pretend it doesn't really matter. <laughs> but... There are studies and, and, um, where they talk about this, this concept of self and who we are comes from the affirmation, from walking with a father and having that spoken. In, in uh, biblical times, we see there was off, the father was often naming children because he was speaking out their identity scientifically. It's not an accident that scientifically the part that comes from the father, the seed that comes from the father is what determines gender because identity comes from the father. Is it any wonder that we have an identity crisis right now? Because people need to be connected to the identity in the father. 
And when we determine that 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 doesn't matter, when we cut ourselves off from the one who created us, we cut ourselves off from identity. It's he, the reason he was the father, it's he whose image that we're made in. Now, I cannot do a balanced sermon on, but mothers are important too, and we recognize mothers demonstrate the the image of God as well. We have other sermons on that. Go find that. (laughs) But this morning, I want us to understand, because we need to connect to this reality because the word talks about it. It's important for us to connect to the Father. The identity crisis we're having in culture is about fatherlessness, fatherlessness in families, but fatherlessness in the connection that we have with God. People don't know who they are. Why? Because they haven't come into Christ and know now who they are from the Father. Yeah, I have a bunch of stats. I don't think they matter because I think we know. (laughs) But we need to recognize that the identity crisis that we see in several areas around gender, around race, around purpose, has to do with not being connected to the identity of the Father. We can't afford as the church to not get this. We can't afford to not get this this concept of identity in our Father, apart from all of those other constructs. We need to be able to, to be confident in who our Father is and what that means about us. The world needs a church that's rooted in that. There's a, um, I listened to a podcast recently. It's called Cultural Catalysts. And there was a man on the podcast, his name is Jamie Winship. He has a ministry called The Identity Method. And he was a, a police officer for 20 plus years But he was becoming so disappointed because he said most of what I was doing was trying to protect. I wasn't a peace officer because that's that's what they sign up for. He said, I was just protecting people from hurting each other. And that's the difference between a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. (laughs) God says we're peacemakers. And so he began to go, "What, Lord, what is the root of this. I want to stop just dealing with the behaviors of this and the violence and whatever. What is the root of this? And he began to go into situations with gangs and things going on, household things that they were repeatedly, you know, repeatedly having to come to households. And he the Lord began to reveal to him it's about identity. And so he began to deal with identity in that society in those neighborhoods and they began uh, initiatives and things that dealt with identity and when he was approaching situations he would connect to that reality and he began to win awards because gangs were going down and crime was going down and and it was all connected to him having this understanding of identity so he's about to retire or go on to do something else and someone from the CIA comes to him and he says I've been reading your file and I'm seeing these awards that you're making or getting, and this impact you're having, I want to know what you're doing. He says, well, I don't think you're really going to like it. 
He says, well, tell me. I'll like anything that works. And he says, okay, well, well, I start with going, Holy Spirit, what's going on here? And the guy stayed with him on it. And he began to explain how the Holy Spirit was showing them it has to do with identity and fatherlessness and people not really knowing who they are. And so they began, he did work with the CIA with terrorist cells. And they would have him go into these terrorist training cells and he would begin to speak to them about identity and they would shut down those, those areas. They would leave those, it was basically they were recruiting people out of terrorist training cells by telling them who they were and connecting them to identity. He had a story that he told about, uh, now he goes into schools uh, with this ministry, Identity Method. The schools invite him in uh, because he'll talk about bullying and drug use and you know checks those boxes of things that they need to address. And he goes in and talks about this whole thing of identity. And one principal was just so uh, impressed with the message and so inspired by it. He said, we've got this seventh grader in our, in our school, and he has already been marked as a future shooter in the schools because he's so angry, he is so violent, his father's in jail, uh, I think, I don't know where his mom was at, he drug addicted or something, and he's living with his grandpa, but he's already been marked that he is a potential future shooter, school shooter. And he said, would you talk to him? And he said, yeah, I'll talk to him. So he goes in to talk to him, and you know, they're saying he doesn't talk to anybody, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, so he's talking to him, and finally he says, who are you? Who, who would you say that you are? And the kid comes back and he says, invisible. I'm invisible. Because that's what he believed about himself. And so then he says, well, I want you to close your eyes for a minute and I want you to to ask the question, who does love say I am? Because it's a public school, so he said love instead of God. But he meant God. But he says, ask the question, who does love say I am? And the kid closes his eyes and he comes back and he says, love says, I'm a musical genius. Now this kid had not picked up an instrument. He hadn't expressed an interest in music. He hadn't expressed an interest in anything except for the stuff that scares you and makes you put in his file, future shooter. So Jamie tells his grandpa that this this is what was said. And, you know, that this is what he said. And, 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 and he bought him a guitar. Jamie bought him a guitar. And he tells his grandpa, well, this is what he's saying. He says he's never, in, you know, expressed an interest in music, but I'll, I'll pay for lessons for him. And so he paid for lessons, and the kid's life completely turned around. Now, some people would tell this as a story about the power of music. It's the power of identity. It's the power of getting a hold of what, what, when we don't know who we are, then the father of lies can come in and father us. And he can tell us anything. Amen? And we do know who we are. And so we don't allow the father of lies to come in and talk to us anymore. We don't allow him to tell us who we are. So the first thing... that we get when we are confident in our sonship, 
is identity. The second thing we get is inheritance. This, the scripture talks about this. Romans 8, 14 through 19, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We have an inheritance. And it's not, (laughs) we think, how many of you heard that and go, yes, I know, treasures in heaven. Do you know that I don't get an inheritance when I die? I get an inheritance when somebody else dies. That's what we celebrated this morning, the death of Jesus that allowed for me to now have an inheritance. That I get to recognize and understand what I have in him. I love the verse in Luke 12, 32. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father is pleased to give you the kingdom. That's huge. Have you ever, maybe some of you have, you gotten a call from the lawyer that goes, you know, um, your great aunt, uncle Marty passed away and he left you an inheritance. And one of the first questions that comes up is like, I wonder how much it is. I mean, maybe not for you, but it would be for me. I think the first thing I should go might be like, oh, uncle Marty died. That's so sad. Anyway. But we do, we go, I wonder how much it is. And when we're talking about the inheritance, all throughout scripture, we cannot blow out of proportion the size of the inheritance that we have. It pleased God that in Christ Jesus, all fullness should dwell. All riches are ours. Scripture after scripture. And if we don't recognize our sonship, We don't recognize or access our inheritance. We have to be confident of our sonship to access our inheritance. What do I want to do? Okay, the the third thing is, so we have identity, inheritance. The third thing is influence, which starts with an I, but mostly means authority. (laughs) Influence means Uh, power, impact, authority. And when we know who we are as sons, we step into that. We know who our father is. We know we're sons. We're confident in who we are. We're confident in what we have. And a confident son knows what to do with it and how to step into that authority. So I'm going to wrap, I'm going to finish this up another time. We're going to talk about that aspect of authority of influence in a couple of weeks. But what I want us to recognize is that we are meant to live in this place of this identity, inheritance, and influence. We're not meant to visit it during worship on a Sunday morning. 
We're meant to live in that place. Do you know the whole thing of the prodigal son, to me, there's a million things. Is that just the story that keeps on giving or what? But one of the things that I see in it is this aspect of him saying, I know who I am, and I know I have an inheritance, but I don't want to live in the Father's house anymore. I'm going to take that, and I'm going to go do something else with it. And what happened was, pretty soon, it dries up, because we're meant to live in the Father's house. And some of us have taken our inheritance and stopped living in the Father's house, and it's limited The invitation to us is live in the Father's house. When Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, in my Father's house there are many rooms. Again, I think we go, heaven, yes, I know. I wonder if they're real mansions or fake mansions. And I wonder if, you know, whatever. Are they spiritual mansions? And we picture it as heaven. No, he's saying, come and live in the Father's house now. I've prepared the way for you to live in the Father's house. There is a hope of heaven. I'm not, can we just not be balanced today? Is that okay? Yes, there's a hope of heaven. But there is something he wants us to understand in what is available to us now in the Father, in living from that place. He says, abide in my love. Live from that place. Let's stand. Good work. Okay. Our response today is not just that we will receive the love of the Father, but I'm going to live from that place. I'm going to live from that place so that I can be a confident son that knows who I am, that knows what I have, and that knows what to do with it. So, Father... (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for the invitation to come and live in your house. For some of us, maybe we're returning to the Father's house today. We thank you that you are not waiting to see how far we'll come, but you're running to us even in this moment. As we come to to come under the love and the protection and the provision, the purpose of the Father. Holy Spirit, come and reveal that to us, what that is. Show us how to to step back into the Father's house. Show us those places where we've stepped out from abiding in that love. And help us to step into that place again and to stay there, to know how to live from that place of rest, to lean back in the loving arms of our Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To learn more about us, please visit livingwatersmn.org. Thank you.